0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: Paul is taking a big picture of you. He's leaving the church a big picture view. So he says, according to the riches of his grace, God has abounded. How much is abounding? How much is that? How much all wisdom and prudence do we have? You've got access to everything that you ever need. James wrote it this way. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, here's something that some people use as, uh, and try to create some kind of controversy or say there's a contradiction in Scripture. If 1 Corinthians 1.30 says Christ is made unto us wisdom, then why in the world is James saying if you lack wisdom? Well, James is talking about a specific issue. He's saying if you count it all joy when you find yourself in diverse temptations or trouble, adversity. If you lack wisdom to know what to do in your specific issue, the adversity that you're in, then ask of God and God will give it to you. Where does that wisdom come from? It doesn't come from outside. There's not a voice that... I've never had God speak to me with a voice from heaven. Have you? I've had him say some things to me that sounded loud. And I know to pay attention, big attention to those things, those are major issues that are coming up. But where does the wisdom come from that we ask God for? The only place that wisdom dwells, and that's in our spirits. Part of this all wisdom and prudence that's abounded to us. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We should have the answers. We as Christians, as believers, walking in the word, should have the answers to the situations in our lives. And we do if we just know how to rely on it. How to gain access to that inner wisdom. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Notice he talks about wisdom with God's master plan. Having made known unto us, not we're hoping that he will someday. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now, what's a mystery? Mystery is something that's hidden. But notice he says it's not hidden to us. There is a mystery to the will of God. The world is in the dark concerning the will of God. A lot of the church is in the dark concerning the will of God. Not because that's the way God wants it, but because they haven't developed the wisdom that God has given them through the word. But a lot of the church world, and certainly the the world outside the church, is up in the air wondering, well, what's going to happen next? How's this going to work? But because the mystery of God's will is revealed to us, we've got inside information having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Now, folks, I want you to see a couple of things. Notice back in uh, in verse 5. It says, God, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, because God wanted to. God made a place in Christ because he wanted to. Now look at verse 9 having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. He's saying the same thing because God wanted to. Paul says four times in this one sentence how much God wanted to. Not because we wanted to, although if we had good sense we would want it, but God wanted it this way. God created this plan that includes you and sets you at the right hand of of, uh, with sets you at his right hand alongside Jesus because he wanted to. According to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself that he's still talking about the mystery of his will being revealed that in the dispensation of the fullness of times dispensation means administration fullness means completion. That in the administration of the completion of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on the earth even in him. In other words he's saying here's the big picture mystery of God's will that's been revealed. That when the time is right God's going to gather everything together under Jesus' control. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. Can you imagine? Stop and think about that for a minute. I've spent a lot of time thinking about the Garden of Eden. What was the Garden of Eden like? Man, before the devil got involved and messed things up, this earth was a paradise. As I said, a lot of people seem to have the idea that if we could just follow their political ideas or whatever, then we could return to that. People seem to fall into two different categories to me. Most people that want to be left alone and operate according to goodness and moral character and so on and so forth, I'm part of those. A subcategory of those people are the ones that want to be taken, together, taken care of by the government. They want to live their life. They want everybody to take care of them and, and, and just not have anything to do with anybody else and just live their lives and have no moral authority and just be free. The second category of people the people that want to control things. There seems to be no middle ground between those two categories. And that's much of the the fight that's going to take place in the last days in our culture. Because those are the people, those are the subsects or categories of people that are going to be in opposition to one another. But what Jesus is going to rule over is even better than the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that at the end of the tribul- uh, end of the millennium period, heaven comes down to the earth. A new earth is created, and then heaven comes down. Paul got a glimpse of that heaven. He said he couldn't describe it. I don't know how that relate. I don't know how to relate to that. I don't know how to. How can you not describe something? See, our frame of reference is here on the earth, and anything here on the earth we can describe by something else here on the earth. But Paul is talking about things that are so different, so unique, and so varied in their creation and their composition that there's nothing on the earth that compares to describe. That must be pretty good, wouldn't you think? That in the dispensation of times, the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance. This word inheritance is really not a good translation. It's the word heritage. He's talking about a family. Now, Paul is going to talk further on in the chapter about our inheritance. But right now, he's talking about being a family. So it reads this way in the, American, in the uh, uh, authorized version, in whom also we have obtained a heritage, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, here again, he's talking about predestination. A lot of times people think that much of the church world, maybe most, I don't know, but much of the church world thinks predestination means God has chosen some for heaven and some for hell. And he's foreordained that, and that's the way it's going to be no matter what. Well, that can't be true if if, if there are at least a dozen scriptures that refute that. So if if the Bible, the whole of the Bible is true, that can't be the way that it works. No, it's not the individual that's predestined for heaven or hell. It's the place in Christ. It's the position in Christ that was predestined. God predestined and chose before the foundation of the world a place in Christ through the shedding of his blood whereby mankind would and could be seated with him, Jesus, in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Whether the individual partakes of that and takes advantage of it is up to him. That's why Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. He didn't say, whosoever God wills, let him come. He said, whosoever wills, let him come. That's the only way the whole of the Bible can be true. It's the only way man's will can be what the Bible says that it is. There's no other possibility. And this is what Paul is talking about. Certainly, God's will is for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wills for all of mankind to take place or a part in that place in Christ. But God's not the one that decides. He left that up to man's choice. What God decided, what God predestined, what God foreordained, is that there would be a place in Christ Jesus.
0: Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: Now whatever somebody, you or me, or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8:17 tells us why He healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses.
0: Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive just minutes off the Phi Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikewebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: And so when Paul's talking about a heritage, he's referring back to Abraham and Abraham's physical descendants being understood worldwide to be the people of God. There's something about these people. Not not everybody accepted that it was God that was special about them. But everybody understood that the Jews were a different type of people than anybody else on the face of the earth. We know, and anybody that accepted the truth of the Old Testament, knew even at that time that it was because God's favor was upon them. That's the point Paul's trying to make. He's saying that same favor of God can be upon you through Jesus. There's no blessing that the Jew had that's not the Gentiles now. For us, it might be well to say it the other way around. There's no blessing of the Gentiles through Jesus that's not available to the Jew. Through Jesus. But it's not through God's plan for Israel. It's not through God's covenant with Abraham. I'll bless them to bless thee and curse them to curse thee. It's not through the natural aspects of the old covenant. It's through Jesus. There's only one covenant, folks, and that's through Jesus. God doesn't have a separate covenant with Israel. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance or heritage, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. In other words, it's saying God's master plan of bringing everything under Christ in heaven and in earth is for one purpose, to show us in our position, seated with Christ in the heavenlies at the right hand of God the Father, to show us to be the praise of his glory. In other words, he's saying the church should be the evidence of God's goodness according to his master plan. Evidence to who? Folks, don't think that when we we get past the millennium, and all of a sudden there's a new heaven and a new earth that then God is going to show himself strong and he's going to show his glory and the church is going to be shown to be glorious. Everybody that's going to be there is going to be the church. What are we going to do? We're going to walk around shining in the glory of God and saying, "Woo! don't you look pretty? What good is that? He's talking about here. He's talking about now. He's talking about the glory of God being evidenced in us because of our position in Christ where we're seated at his right hand to be glorious here on the earth. The church is destined by God to be the evidence of his master plan at work that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now first, if there's a first, that means there's a second. So Paul is talking about one of two things. He's either talking about we who first trusted, meaning the Jews, and then the Gentiles followed after, or he's talking about we being the first generation of believers and then others who believed on Christ through their word being the second generation. Now, whichever way you want to go with that, it doesn't matter to me. Both are accurate and both are true. I think Paul is coming from a Jewish perspective personally, but he writes it in such a way that it could be either. So it means whether you're Jew or Gentile, the same thing's going to belong to you. Whether you're first generation or many subsequent generations of believers, the same thing belongs to you. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ and whom you also trusted. I think he's talking to the Gentiles there, but it would apply to future generations of believers anyway. In whom also you trusted. Now this word trusted, both in verse 12 and verse 13, is literally the word hoped. We faith people kind of denigrate hope. We see so many people that misunderstand the difference between faith and hope. Hebrews eleven one says, "Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. You can't believe in something unless you have hope." But so many people try to substitute hope for faith. For example, they say, "Well, I'm hoping God will heal me someday." Well, that's not faith. Or they may even say it and use faith language. They may say, "I'm believing God's going to heal me someday." Well, anything that's out in the future is not faith. Anything that's in the future is hope. Faith says it's mine, I have it now. So when Paul is talking here, he's talking about hope. He's talking about something future. He says, again in verse 12, who first hoped in Christ, in whom you also hoped. The word trusted is uh, in italics, which means the translator's added it. But you can see that it fits. He's saying we hoped first and then you followed us in. In whom you also hoped after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. Notice he even follows the scriptural pattern, hope first and then believing second. So what is he saying? Well, we know he's talking to believers. We know he's talking to people that have already made Jesus the Lord of their lives. So what is he saying? He's saying there's a future activity or a future occurrence that we're all hoping for. What is that? Well, when Jesus gives us our redeemed bodies, when he comes back to receive the church. When he comes back to receive the church. In whom you also hoped after that you heard the word of truth. Notice that it's the word of truth. I love that. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the word of truth. Everything in the Bible is the word of truth. you see back up in 11 where it says in whom we also have obtained a heritage being predestinated according to the purpose of him notice this phrase the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will what does that mean that means everything that happens that looks to us to be contradicting the scripture everything that 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 looks to contradict every circumstance every situation that looks to us to contradict the promises of god god uses Because he has predestined, he has preordained that his word is true, he has preordained for our position in Christ to be solid for eternity. He uses every circumstance, every situation, according to his counsel, there's his wisdom, and his will, his spoken word, to bring everything about just the way that he said. Now, those are the things the devil is trying to tell you is proof that the word doesn't work. And Paul says, this is a part of God's master plan. Peter said it this way. He said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which troubles you. Well, what's a fiery trial that troubles us? Circumstances. Opposition to the word. The things that happen, the things that occur that make us think, oh, the word's not working. The things that happen that the devil says, speaks in ear and says, well, that can't be true. The word can't be true because if the word was true, it wouldn't be working like this. That's the fiery trial that Peter's talking about. He said, don't think think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that troubles you. He said, know this, that the same afflictions are accomplished in everybody. In other words, the devil works this way against everybody. But hold fast in faith. Don't let the circumstances throw you off. There is nothing that is stronger than God's love and God's will. And when God has spoken something to be, It doesn't matter how far away from the target we seem to be going. It doesn't matter how far the circumstances seem to be taking us from what the word of God promises us. It's impossible. But for the word of God to come to pass. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now at the time Paul is in jail. Let's say it this way. The administration is not looking favorably upon his position. A Christian is not in power. He's in jail for what he believes. He's in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus because those who disagree with him have brought opposition. In other words, he's in jail because he's being persecuted as a Christian. And He said none of this can stop the plan of God from coming to pass. I don't know where we've been, but I doubt if we've been in as dire circumstances as Paul. In whom also you also hoped, verse 13, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that you believed, you were sealed, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. Now Paul is referring to an old world situation when he talks about seals and earnest. We think, of, uh, we think of earnest as being like earnest money or down payment on something. But a down payment isn't the final word on the subject. A down payment, if you put a down payment on a house, for example, or earnest money on a piece of property or whatever it might be, you have to fulfill the terms of the contract for that property or whatever you're putting a down payment for to really be yours. It's just the first installment, but it's not a done deal. That's not what this means. This is talking about the old world way of sealing. And here's what would happen. If somebody owned property, whether it's land, whether it's uh, possession of some other type, if a, if a person owned property, they would put a mark on it. It was called a seal. And that mark, even if they went away for a long period of time, that mark would prove and verify their possession of the property upon their return. If they came back and people challenged their ownership of the property, all they had to do was point to the mark. And that mark stood up as the proof of the purchased possession, proof that something belonged to them. Now, the seal under the old covenant was circumcision. It was an outward sign, a sign in the flesh. The seal under the new covenant is the Holy Spirit, that which is within us. John said it this way. He said, we know we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. How do we love the brethren? Romans 5.5, Paul wrote to the church saying, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost at the point of the new birth. So what he's saying is that seal, the presence of the Holy Ghost on the inside of us is the proof that we are God's possession. You ought to talk to the devil like this. See, he tries to bring up everything and every reason and every every uh, cause for why the things of God won't work for you, why God's not on your side, or whatever the case might be. Start talking to him about being God's possession. Start talking to him about the presence of the Holy Ghost being the proof that you're God's possession. He always wants to make you worry about your future. Start talking to him about his. In whom also after that you believed, You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Now, this word inheritance is not heritage. It's a different thing. He's talking about what belongs to us. It's the earnest of our inheritance. In other words, there is an inheritance to the believer. Now, the the inheritance he's talking about here is not the inheritance we have on the earth. He's talking about the inheritance that we'll receive as a part of Jesus' return. Literally, our redeemed bodies. We have an inheritance here, but there's something that we're looking for, a hope that we have to receive a body that's not tainted by sin any longer. That's part of our heritage and is our inheritance, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now let me draw you back to some other scriptures that we read through verse 3. Notice it says, In verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse uh, 7 says, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 9 says, according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. Verse 11 says, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, unto the praise of his glory. Over and over and over again, Paul talks about God's plan, God's purpose, God's love, God's choice. And each time he follows it up with to the praise of his glory. In other words, everything that he did for you is to be manifested in our lives so that it brings glory to God. God wants you healed so that it brings him glory. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about you and your healing. He does. But the purpose... For him designing the plan of redemption to include healing is so that it glorifies him. So that the world sees that he's with you. God wants you to prosper abundantly to the praise of his glory. God wants every characteristic of redemption to be evident in your life to the praise of his glory. We have, in my opinion, we have a responsibility to live out the terms of salvation to the praise of his glory. Now the devil tries to rob you of those things trying to say you're just being selfish. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says that we're supposed to live out the blessings of salvation, the blessings of redemption to the praise of his glory. How's that selfish? And don't get me wrong, it's a great deal. You get to live in the blessings of God here on the earth. They benefit you and you get to glorify God in the process. It's a great deal. But it's not selfish. Now there's seven things that Paul mentions. Let me refer these to you real quickly. Before we close. Seven things Paul refers to. Number one is in verse three. Who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places in Christ. Verse four. Here's the second one. According is, he has chosen us in him. Verse five. He having predestinated us. Under the adoption of children. Verse six. He has made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, or inheritance, literally heritage. And in verse 13 and 14, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance. Those are seven things that Paul identifies Seven things that he identifies that are part of God's master plan for you. Is there any area of your life he didn't cover? Is there any problem that you're facing that's not covered by one of those things? Is there any area of your life that's deficient? Because it's outside the bounds of one of these things. Well, then where is our problem? It's not on God's end. God's revealed to us His master plan. He's revealed to us His will, His purpose. And again, we're supposed to enjoy all of these things to the praise of His glory. Why? Because He wanted it that way. Not because He knew you wanted it that way. Because He wanted it. Oh, that we would get a glimpse of who we are to our Heavenly Father. That's what Paul's going to pray and teach the church to pray, that our eyes would be opened to the One who loves us and has done these things for us. James 1.22 tells us to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. It's when we put the Word of God in practice and act on what God said to do. That's when the blessings of God become real in our lives. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
1: Wouldn't it be nice if you had the the dial on Revelation? I'd set mine up wide open. And that's really what Paul's praying. Paul's praying that the spirit of Revelation would be wide open with us.
0: Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6.00 p.m. Or Wednesdays at 7.00 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word